0: Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association. I'm Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 17th of July, 2017. Today, we examine the role and legacy of the Auxiliary Division of the Royal Irish Constabulary during the War of Irish Independence. Military historian Paul O'Brien has written a new book on the Auxiliaries titled Havoc, The Auxiliaries in Ireland's War of Independence, published by Collins Press. This examines the controversies around the formation of the unit, their operations and their impact. I spoke to Paul over the phone from Dublin about his book. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Could you start by telling us who were the auxiliaries, what was their purpose and why were they formed?
1: Uh, In the aftermath of the 1916 Easter Rising in Ireland, the Irish Republican Army regrouped. Uh, It took them a few years to do that and in 1919 they launched an insurgency war against the British Crown in Ireland. This insurgency was actually quite successful at the beginning. They actually targeted the police force in Ireland, the Dublin Metropolitan Police, which were based in Dublin City, and the Royal Irish Constabulary. And hundreds of their members were uh, gunned down uh, in the streets and towns throughout Ireland. Uh, The British government realised that they had a to form a counter-insurgency campaign against the Irish Republican Army. And what they did was they, first of all, tried to bolster the police force here, which failed, and then they decided to recruit a specialist unit, and Winston Churchill was the one who recommended this specialist unit, and they were known as the Auxiliary Division of the Royal Irish Constabulary. They were made up of ex-British army officers, many of them who had served in the First World War, and they were brought to Ireland on the fixed-term contracts to wage war against the Irish Republican Army.
0: There was also the famous Black and Tans, which I think have a, an infamous reputation um, of both in the UK and Ireland, but the auxiliaries were different from, from the Black and Tans. Can you explain how they were different?
1: Uh, the auxiliaries, were very different from the Black and Tans. The Black and Tans uh, were the unit that was used to bolster the police force, the Royal Irish Constabulary in Ireland. Many police officers left or were killed or injured in the line of duty in Ireland. And the British government realized that they helped to bolster up this police force. And they sent out uh, recruitment throughout Ireland and England and thousands of young men were recruited into the force. Because so many arrived in such a short period of time, there was a serious lack of uniforms. Many of them wore their military uniforms mixed with uh, regulation police uniforms for a short period of time. And the nickname, the Black and Tans, came from local people in Ireland who compared this new uh, police force or this new recruitment to a group of helms, that were based in the Limerick area, and their colours were black and tan. The black and tans, as I said, they were there to bolster up the police force, but they didn't take the fight to the Irish Republican Army. They weren't trained to actually do that. So once again, in this period of time, the British government found themselves once again with a very bad insurgency war on their hands.
0: So why did you want to write a book about the auxiliaries? In
1: our history books here in Ireland, There are pictures of the auxiliaries, uh, wrongly captioned as being black and tans. These men uh, came over from England. Many of them also were Irish, some Canadian, American. Uh, They came over here and they waged a counterinsurgency campaign against the Irish Republican Army. And this, a lot of people won't know, this was actually a very successful campaign. The reason I wrote about these men is because they have been forgotten by British and Irish history. They've been vilified by Irish history, but also Britain has kind of forgotten these uh, soldiers or policemen, so to speak. And I think it's
0: time that their story and their history was actually told in a book. Certainly when I was reading your book, um, what sort of tactics did the auxiliaries use? What made them so um, effective um, against the IRA That's a very interesting question. I believe
1: that the Auxiliaries were the forerunners of what we know today as Special Forces. Uh, In England, you have the Royal Marine Commandos and the SAS, uh, which really came about in World War II. But Winston Churchill championed these type of forces. Uh, The auxiliaries were extremely fit young men. They would have been armed with the latest weaponry of the time, uh, which was after the First World War. The squad automatic weapon would have been the Lewis gun and many of them would have carried that. They would have used tenders, uh, Rolls-Royce armoured cars for speed. They would have used bicycles for stealth for going into certain areas in Ireland where the IRA were active. Their counterinsurgency campaign, they would have set up their own intelligence units. They would not have used the police of the army, and they would have then went after certain targets of IRA groups or high-value targets as we know them today, which would have been IRA commanders at that time.
0: And how many um, men actually served in the auxiliaries, and how many of them actually killed during the War of Irish Independence? There are
1: very few served in the Auxiliaries as i said they were only there roughly for about one year 1920 to 21 uh, and just over 2000 would have served in their ranks and that was throughout every county in Ireland especially the hot spots like Dublin and Cork and Kerry and Limerick around that areas um so very very few 40 of them would have uh, roughly about 40 of them would have lost their lives but many of them The majority of the casualties were in an ambush in Kilmichael in County Cork, where the whole unit was actually wiped out by Tom
0: Barry and his flying column in November 1920. One thing that comes across from your book is certainly the auxiliaries seem to have a reputation for widespread torture, murder, larceny and also burning cork or large portions of cork. Was this actually true or was that really uh, sort of post-war propaganda? Some of it was true and some of it was post-war propaganda. But what you actually have to
1: look at are the reasons behind why these actions were taken. For example, I think in every uh, walk of life, alcohol fuels uh, a, a lot of trouble. And back then, these men would have survived World War I. They would have came to Ireland. Some of them did suffer from PTSD, the, as what we know now. But others were looking for work. Their actions in Ireland... To look behind that were ones of frustration. They were fight- fighting a counterinsurgency warfare where their enemy, who did not wear uniforms, were able to appear and disappear at will. In the burning of Cork, that was in retaliation for an ambush at Dillon's Cross in Cork where uh, a number of their men were badly injured and one guy was killed. And they decided to exact revenge on the people of Cork who they believed knew the attackers and also covered for the attackers and allowing them to escape. As it happened on their doorstep, the sacking of Balbriggan, different places like that, a lot of the actions were done in retaliation. Some of the commanders were very strong and did not let their men do that, while others did. But also uh, the British government allowed a lot of these uh, attacks as well in retaliation for ambushes on the Crown forces
0: because one thing you do talk about is um, Brigadier General Crozier, who was, I believe, the, the one of their first commanders, and he actually resigned as a result of um, what he felt a number of men actually getting off from one incident. Can you tell us about that?
1: In one particular incident, a group of auxiliaries robbed, uh, so to speak, a shop. He investigated that as there was complaints made from the shop owners, who were actually loyalists. They were uh, backed the British government, and he dismissed the men and they were reinstated by the senior commander and he was very very angry over that He threatened his resignation, and it was accepted. He put his resignation forward, and it was accepted. And he was very, very angry at this. You have to remember at the time, the press was very much, the Liberal press was very much siding with the Irish at this stage against the British government in Ireland and listing all the incidents that were actually happening here. So he felt under great pressure as the commander of the auxiliaries to cover for his men, or to show up what his men were actually doing. A lot of people actually blamed him because he couldn't control his men. He let them, the people uh, accused him of letting them run riot throughout Ireland. So it was really 50-50. And Crozier actually, after the the, the incident in in Ireland, and Ireland became a free state, he actually continued to lambast the British government uh, in Ireland and um, in England for their involvement in a lot of the uh, incidences in Ireland.
0: Do you think there's anything we can learn from the auxiliaries today that that teaches us lessons of how wars should be fought?
1: I think there's a lot to learn. One is the use of special forces, and I think that's been used in Iraq and Afghanistan, also understanding the people that when you go into a battle zone, the people who actually live there every day. The Auxiliaries did not really understand the Irish people. While you take a look at British forces that went into Afghanistan. They made an effort to actually understand, meet with local tribal leaders and try and make peace on a a basis like that and use the the local Afghan people. In Ireland, that did not happen. Also, if you take your frustrations out on the local people, they will turn against you and you cannot win a war of counterinsurgency unless you have the people on your side.
0: And finally, Paul, where can people get your book from?
1: Uh, The book is published by Collins Press. Uh, in Cork and you can buy it directly from them online Uh, you can get it through Amazon or you can order it through your local bookshop
0: Paul, thank you very much for your time You're very welcome You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Russman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.